0: I'm Aaron Armstrong.
1: I'm Pete Moran. I'm Bridget Taylor. And we love to watch. We love to watch, take one. Is this gonna be on the test? We love to watch, take two. The worst class trip ever. We love to watch, take three. Man, 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 manslaughter high school. There you go. That's the three Aaron.
0: You know I'm using all three, right, Peter? I hope. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm just like, you know, I know you're going to expect an edit. I want to acknowledge that Peter, the reason he said take is uh, Peter, very professional podcast co-host. He's like, Aaron, I got some ideas. I want to add some energy so that we're not just stuck with one. And I trust you to pick the best one. And I sat there and I listened to him. And I thought the entire time, I'm going to use all three. I hope all three (laughs) are bad. I hope it's really (laughs) embarrassing. I hope he's still – I'm going to leave all the space in between it Uh, because I am am the dentist – the menace to your Mr. Wilson. I think our roles on this podcast. The the best Um, part
2: is that they get more embarrassing as he goes
0: because the one where you're singing is always the most embarrassing. Oh, yeah. Always any kind of I don't know if Skype cut out or if he stumbled and tried to restart once again yep. hoping as a good co-host I would edit out all of our flaws uh, and I just sat there going great I'm glad he messed up that's going to be great hey, for Daddy, the final better- cut
1: Yep. <laughs> great my, my pain is delicious to you I, I, I'm glad after all well, these years I mean, just...
2: Uh, I'm just going to point out the movie we're watching
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we can't even get three people unprompted in a room without turning on each other I don't know. The, the the teacher in this class in Battle Royale basically had to do very little. They have the guns and everything in the cool video, but all he had to do was like embarrass, slightly embarrass one of them and they all start murdering each other. Yeah. Well, and the first teacher didn't even have to do that because he dies really early. Oh, yeah. The,
2: the, the easy way to get out of the movie fast. Have ethics.
0: get out of here uh yeah uh but thank you so much for joining us uh where we love to watch if you've never heard our podcast before we are a movie yeah as usual this will be incomprehensible to you because of all of our inside jokes so start right at the beginning make your way up here but we're a movie podcast we do uh theme months we pick a theme and then we cover a few different movies on that theme and if we remember We compare and contrast them, and this is our second week of People being the most dangerous game, and we're doing uh, one of the big ones. Uh, Peter, I don't know
1: if it still is one of your favorite movies of all time. At some point, it definitely was. It's definitely Uh, one of the most formative movies for me. If if it doesn't uh, crack my top ten, it's almost definitely one of my, my most formative movies. And that movie is
0: uh, in Japanese, known as uh, Battle Royale, and here in America, uh, Battle Quarter
1: Pounder. <laughs> so your Japanese is so good, Aaron. Thank you.
0: Yeah, uh, and if it uh, if you had some cheese with it, it's uh, Battle Battle Royale with cheese. We also I'm gonna let the coming. silence. Yeah, I'm gonna we let, let the silence stew. In that a little bit, yeah. But uh, I'm going to use my editing powers here to insert laughs. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) good luck with that. (laughs) uh, uh, Bridget, can you just laugh quick? Don't give him a sample, Bridget. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but then we got a long podcast. You're gonna have to not laugh for two whole hours.
2: Oh, you have no idea. (laughs)
1: oh great uh we are joined by (laughs) have no idea the limits of my (laughs) disamusement yes
0: (laughs) oh i can i can do the opposite of not laughing (laughs) uh laugh i guess uh uh, but we are joined by bridget taylor one of our favorite guests for her fourth (laughs) appearance of we love to watch not just our favorites i think fan favorite
1: is fair do you think it's fair peter yeah i think that's fair
0: <laughs> we do get a like i'm I'm not joking we do get a lot of comments usually on uh on on the episodes that you appear on yeah because
1: uh, you're saying what nice. a great guest you are so a delightful are right. and insightful guest and we are so happy to have you back oh look he yes brilliant. i know <laughs> i know Perfect. i'm pretty Don't on it as
0: a wrap you're already halfway there <laughs> there we go but Bridget. Why don't you, if you haven't heard one of Bridget's episodes before, which is a shame, but if you haven't, Bridget, why don't you quickly introduce yourself to our audience?
2: Well, as as, um, we said when we were building up to this episode, I am here for episodes with teenage trauma and death. That that seems to be my niche. Even Air Bud had the dead parents, so that's nice. Yep. Mm -hmm. I like movies a lot. I... Live in Vermont, which means I have a lot of extra time to watch movies because there's not much <laughs> else to do. Um, and I am actually the parent of a child who's just a little bit older than the characters are in this movie.
0: So has they, she has she seen this movie? She has not actually. Would you show this movie to her? Probably. Uh, but anyways, thank you so much again, uh, Bridget, for joining us. Uh, Bridget has uh, thankfully volunteered. So when we were sending out some movies uh, that we were doing for the next couple months. Uh, Bridget had asked us if we had ever read the book that this was based on. Uh, I hadn't. I assumed Peter had, uh, as, we, as we talk about uh, his experience with this movie. Peter can be a little obsessive about things he loved, so I kind of assumed that a he ting. had. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that uh, that he did not. Uh, much like he never fired that bow and arrow, he never got around to reading the book of one of his favorite movies. So Bridget has been yes. kind enough to, to to tell us a little bit about the book uh, before we get into the movie discussion.
2: No, it's been a long time since I read the read the book. I will warn you that. We cannot but
0: fact check you. I, never I read did
2: it. read it. And there's also a manga. So if you would like to have the visual impact of, of small People killing each other—that's that's what you could do. <laughs> but uh, I have not read the manga. I just read the book, and the book is not—it's never going to win the Nobel Prize for great literature. Um, the author was it up um, for it? No, it was in the final round of the 1997 Japan Horror Fiction Awards. Wikipedia tells okay. me um but it got rejected because it was about teenagers killing each other but anyway the the author and uh he wrote the manga i think he had a hand in the screenplay um for Battle Royale was a journalist and it very much feels and of course i'm not sure about the quality of the translation either because i don't speak japanese um it very much feels like a book written by a journalist it's very straightforward there's a lot more of the kids what i'll call interior life than um in the movie, but that makes sense because the movie is pretty lean, um, and you're just not going to get into the same level of depth in a novel. Uh, but the other thing that really struck me when I read the book, I watched the movie first and then read the book, uh, was how much more clearly political it is. Uh, Interesting. I, I'm not great with Japanese politics. I have some, you know, sort of read too much manga and have watched too many cartoons and <laughs> fan of a bunch of japanese novelists um coming up in like high school so i have some background but i certainly couldn't you know pretend to be an expert on this stuff Uh, but just within the world of the book um it's much more obvious these kids are not just picked out of random and then they threw a couple other kids in there it's much more obvious that they have basically Found a class, slash, moved some people around to get rid of a bunch of people they are concerned about at once. Uh, so the kids are, are much more obviously targeted than quote unquote random selection. They're still told it's random selection, but as you follow the kids around, you find out, um, you know, uh, quite a few of them have had either connections to the political resistance or anti government activity or. They're just quote unquote problem children.
0: Interesting, because I did reading a little bit about the movie. Um, so, a lot of the reviews for this came out in 2011, 2012, because it was very hard to get in the United States, which yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, also it, it
2: corresponded it got a with. Reputation as a quote unquote banned movie for a long time. I don't think it was ever actually, well, you know, we don't ban things, uh, but I think it was more <laughs> of a distribution issue. Yep. Yes.
0: Yes. Uh, I, I got it, it after. Columbine, and um, yeah, and then it just it fell through a few times. So, uh, so what's interesting about a lot of the like contemporary reviews for when this was released in the United States was that it came out about the same time as Hunger Games. So, even though there was a lot of people knowing about that, a lot of Hunger Games stuff takes its uh, takes its kind of story or premise from from this Japanese movie uh, and book. Um, the fact that the first movie and Battle Royale were almost released at the same time, meant that a lot of contemporary reviews of Battle Royale unsurprisingly mentioned The Hunger Games, which obviously wouldn't have been a comparison point uh, if it had been released when it was initially came out in 2000. Uh, and so the reason I bring that up is that there is a lot of, in, in the contemporary discussion of this, talking about how, not criticizing it, but saying that it doesn't have as much going on from a satirical or a thematic standpoint as the Hunger Games, both uh, the book series and the first movie that had come out, right. that there just wasn't a clear, a clear message. Which where it's much more, much more clear in the Hunger Games uh, yeah. stuff. And then looking at some other stuff, it seemed like uh, in Japan. There's still a lot of debate about what the message of this movie is, what it's trying to say, or if it's trying to say anything. Yeah. the director has kind of said that this is his warning to the next generation, which kind of sounds o- ominous. It's, and he There's another couple sentences that I probably should have written down, but he made it clear he was warning the the, the youth that if they didn't change their ways, that things could go really bad. So it wasn't... When I first read that, I kind of assumed it was warning against like the uh, the civilization around them and the way that the their parents had kind of made society. But it seemed like he was had some negative things to say about the children and their their generation. I guess with so much like feeling of kind of question mark around the the message and the politicality, what was your takeaway from the book itself is what it was trying to say?
2: Yeah, the book is definitely not just like those crazy kids can't get out of control. The government is clearly—it's—it's it's basically a fascist state. Like I said, they're—they're they're clearly taking these kids. Um, Shuya's parents have been killed. It's—it's it's not the suicide storyline that's in—in in the movie. Um, it's certainly much more complicated than what what uh, you you've heard the director say. Um, I am not it's certainly more complicated than what the director said about it um, in, in terms of the book. It's definitely not a hunger games in terms of there being much hope, frankly. Um, it, it, I would compare it in that respect in basically no other respect other than dystopia really sucks uh, to um, the handmaid's tale in that respect. Like it's, it's, uh, Like I said, there's not much else it has in common with The Handmaid's Tale, but in that, this is much more of a snapshot of a really unpleasant dystopian society that is working very hard to keep itself where it wants to be, rather than it being the question of -of out-of-control children. But um, knowing the director said that, um, it makes a lot more sense why there's kind of that whole subplot with um, the teacher getting hurt in uh, when the kids are in yeah. seventh grade and then coming back in ninth grade.
0: It's interesting because 2000 was the year of directors giving messages to children. Yeah, had this director saying, you know, be careful, don't go out of control, respect some, some boundaries or you'll, you'll descend into chaos. Uh, and then another famous director, Boz Luhrmann told everyone in 2000, everybody is free to wear sunscreen. So a lot of, lot, of, lot of messages for the youth from the directors of 2000.
1: Um, youth, the youths, the teens, uh, get pulled in all sorts of crazy directions by all the, these directors, uh, especially in 2000. I mean, we were just being blue dabba dee dabba die. And now, and now we're supposed to, you know, go on this crazy ride with Sugar Ray. Like, what's going on? Anyway, yeah, we were not a girl, not yet a woman, not yet a woman. So, oh, so I wanted to, I wanted to jump in a little bit earlier, but the I read a very conflicting quote from Kinji Fukasaku, um, a director I've seen kind of a lot of his movies, and he heavily identified with '60s counterculture and particularly revolutionary sort of movements. He, uh, in a separate quote, he talked about his experience in World War II. And in World War II, he worked in a weapons factory. He was forced to work in a weapons factory. Basically, he was assigned to one, you know. They would be bombed and the, during these bombing raids, you know, uh, people would, uh, you know, it was parts of machinery would fall over or, pe- or parts of the, mach- the factory would blow up or whatever. And it was kind of every man for himself inside the factory. And the t- the kids had to fight to preserve their lives. And you, but in that moment, you you would use your friends as like, You know, human shields and like hide under bodies and, you know, put yourself in the safe spot. But don't let your friend get in there with you like in the but then you'd forgive each other afterwards because you kind of had an understanding. Right. Um, Because it was terrifying and you were children and you had no other choice. Yeah. And that was what the adults had sort of said, like, you know, when you get in there, like the bombs start falling, just get to a safe place, try and stay alive, whatever. And he took from this experience, and he took into his adult life, um, a distrust of adults and a identification with, you know, children. And also the this understanding that human beings can have a limit to friendship and the social constructs that, you know, we've we've decided or are, are so strong are actually kind of weak. So I think there's a lot going on in the movie itself, but. It's not as politically obvious as Hunger Games or even the sequel. Uh, BR2 is way more political. Uh, It's only partially directed by Kinji, and then he died partway through production, and then his son Kenta took over. Have you guys seen BR2 before? I have not. I really like BR2, but it's, it's far more political. It's, it's about taking the, it's basically about taking the fight to the adults, right? Which is sort of how the Hungry Games movies work. It starts off the kids are in the contest and that sort of militarizes them and makes them, um, makes them stronger in their resolve against the capital city or whatever. Um. In, and then in this, in the sequel to Battle Royale, similar thing, the experience of the first movie militarizes all them. I kind of like BR2, but like, I think I'm, I'm very much on my own island. I think it's a very fun and crazy movie. But yeah, it's, it's very much about that was Kinji identifying with youth movements and he very much idolizes, um, and his son Kenta carried on presumably his vision, very much idolizes, um, revolutionaries and people that stand up to corrupt systems. And it's always possible. That's interesting. I'd read about the munitions stuff.
0: Um, it's always possible that whatever quote that I read was mistranslated a little. It's always what you can potentially run into.
1: Also, he was seventy um, something. He might have said conflicting yeah. things.
0: So saying it's a warning, uh, you know, about or two, obviously conveys a different meaning. So that's um, because that's what it, like that's what it feels like. I guess it's very light on uh, what's going on in the adult world in general. Like we only see glimpses. There is some confusing uh, messaging about whether, like, the kids are supposed to know about this show that broadcasts, whether it even is a show. That's a big because, question mark. Yeah, so it is kind of like, okay, so are they supposed to know about this? Thi- like, in the Hunger Games, everyone knows about the thing. It's like You get
1: in, you know the rules.
2: I know they know about it in the book because I read the book, unless I forgot and and misremembering, but I'm pretty sure they all know about the program Um, because it is. It's a big deal. It's like a media circus. They're meant to just sort of be flummoxed in that first scene in the classroom, which makes sense to me. You know, there's one high school class that's, you know, picked out of the whole country. You are going to basically live in denial that it's not going to be your class.
0: Plus, you know, it, it might be like, because it is just watching kids getting, uh, killing each other. Like, maybe that is super satisfying to, like, a 40-year-old or a 50-year-old who, you know, damn, you kids get off my lawn and into the grinder. Yeah. Like, maybe maybe this show to, like, the children of Japanese, uh, Japan is, like, 60 minutes to them. They're like, that's ah, an old person show. I'm not, it's once a year.
2: Yeah, you know, that the the, the interesting thing about watching this movie as... Far away from the last time I had watched the movie was having that. Oh my God, these guys are all babies. What is happening? Feeling. Um, but uh, did
0: you see it uh, in closer to 2000? Because I, I didn't see it till it was uh, uh, officially released in the United States.
2: I saw a very very early DVD release. It might have been an international release that the video store guys got. Uh, the video store guys were those kind of people back when I had a video store. <laughs> and then I watched it again. That
0: healthy import section.
2: I watched it again, probably when I had a toddler. Oh, okay. But that's still a very different experience because these kids are, I looked it up before I, um, before today. These kids are high school, are not high school students, actually. I looked up how old they are um, and they're in their third year of junior high which is ninth grade, basically the equivalent. And so my daughter just finished 10th grade in June. A couple of weeks ago, actually, um, a figure skater I was terribly fond of was 25 and died um, in his hometown. He was stabbed to death. Um, And that was kind of when it hit me that, you know, you sort of first go through that phase where you realize you might lose your parents. And then you start realizing you might lose your peers. And then at some point it hits you that there's no guarantee that your children yeah. are going to outlive you either. Um, and Even in
1: civilization and even in
2: civilization yeah. and, and, you know, not childhood cancer, not horrible accident. That's nobody's fault, but like something horrible and violent could happen to the person you care about most, you know, watching, watching that movie right after that experience just sort of drove it home that, you know, I know how old these kids are supposed to be. My daughter hangs out with kids who are these age. Um, my daughter hangs out with kids these ages.
1: And that was one of Kinji Fukasaka's uh, disappointments with the way this movie was rated. It got an R15, which means right. 16 or older. Yeah. And he was very disappointed in that and very much uh, as somebody who identified with the revolutionary movements was very upset at the idea of being censored. And he wanted kids the age of the the characters to be able to see this movie. And he wanted to speak directly to teens.
0: Well, let's get into it. Let's 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 cross over. Let's go do uh, you guys ready to talk about Battle Royale? Sure are. Sounds good. taglines works for me uh now i already used the burger joke
1: <laughs> use it again hey, that, was, that and was my that was my a plus gold material be a cat skills comedian just keep using it yeah <laughs> my burger <laughs> it's on the note card i'm using it uh you want to see <laughs>
2: the ultimate past kids get fail. hurt really bad
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. ass stabbing teens make ass stabbing adults uh so
0: peter Uh, I, you could probably do this with, uh, with both eyes closed, which is not something you need for recapping a movie, but, (laughs) (laughs) uh, why don't you give the quick recap?
1: Quick recap. Uh, the movie begins with, uh, a brief summary of what the BR Act is. And the BR Act is the Battle Royale Act, a legislation put forward, uh, in the Japanese Parliament, that consigned ninth-grade students to uh, a specific uh, contest, a specific culling, whatever you want to call it, wherein they all are given bomb collars, put on an island, and over the course of what is it, four days or something, three days, three, or three days, they have to, they have to. Uh, winnow each other down they each get a randomized weapon and they're sent out in the wild to kill each other the other uh, this the occupiable space on the island gets smaller if you've played Fortnite or any of these other battle royale games uh you know what this is because uh they've made so many video games riffing off this format
0: but did they steal did did uh battle royale steal this from Fortnite? is what you're saying
1: Yes, battle royale ripped off Fortnite and Hunger Games, despite coming after it. Um, Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, where was I? Oh, so the island, the occupiable space in the island gets smaller. If you're in the, you know, the the band zones, your bomb collar goes off. You do anything you're not supposed to, bomb collar goes off. But you're supposed to murder each other, and at the end of the three days, if you if there is not one person standing, all the collars go off. So it's a contest, last man standing thing. We see a winner from last year is this, like, blood-stained, braces-wearing, like, teenage schoolgirl. Clutching doll. Yes. Yeah, that Fletching kid adult. looks 12. That is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They clearly cast someone way younger to give the dramatic effect, and it is one of the best shots in the movie, so hell yeah. But... Then we meet our class that is inevitably going to end up in the in the battle royale. And the way this movie is cut, they kind of go back and forth. So I'll just kind of go through it. We meet Shuya Nanahara, uh, who's going to be the the main protagonist of this. Uh, his father just killed himself after looking for work for a long time. Their mother is gone, presumably dead. He didn't just kill himself. He Was killed it a himself year ago?
2: earlier. Um, I I think at least a year because um, I. We watched this last night, so I would actually remember anything Ooh. about
1: it. It was the um, night before he started seventh grade. So it's it two was the years night
2: before he started seventh grade. Yes.
1: Um, OK. Um, but yeah, so uh, his father killed himself. and That's sort of part of his backstory. Um, he sort of we a, a, a see that kid. suicide scene multiple times. It's a very tragic scene. Um, it's it's and yet, uncomfortable very uncomfortable and they they like they like the flashbacks in this movie i mean that's another thing Kenji fukusaku made this movie ostensibly to show to teenagers and young adults and there's sometimes the movie can lay it on a little thick i particularly like that about it but sometimes the flashbacks can come a little little too heavy so you you see this flashback of his dead father a a lot um father very dead despite all the
0: flashbacks we never find out who wins that basketball game (laughs)
1: uh friendship wins the basketball game i believe um which team which color was friendship (laughs) (laughs) so we meet a few other students but it's mostly focused on shuya and a girl that's very into him noriko and she uh she's sort of pining over him and making him cookies and she's sort of being bullied at school there's all these sorts of um Interclass relationships that are sort of getting laid out and, and dripple, dripped out over the course of the movie, but right now we're just getting the big characters, and uh, everyone is going on a big class field trip. They get on a bus, they wake, uh, they all get gassed on the bus, and then they wake up in a weird classroom on the Battle Royale Island. Their old teacher. Who uh, left after being stabbed in the ass by one of the unruly kids who was uh, friends of, of Shuya and Noriko. Um, I, feel like a, I feel like it was his thigh. <laughs> it's an ass, ass, ass stab. It's, I'm it's
2: upper, upper thigh, lower ass.
1: Bridget, I'm gonna need you to to call this one. Shot call this one. Is it ass or not?
2: I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I I don't know Takeshi Kitano's ass area well enough. <laughs>
1: Sorry. So it is Takeshi Kitano. We're gonna do some research. All right. We're gonna get when back to you next look at week's those screen episode. Caps. Yes. Um. We'll do uh, back and to the left. Back. Into the lift. Uh, When he's acting, his name is Beat Takeshi, so he's Beat Takeshi in this. He's usually Takeshi Kitano, but when he's directing and uh, writing and producing, but he's this massive Japanese actor, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, He's the teacher. He's this sort of. um, He's got this sort of hangdog face, but he's like uh, clearly lost his marbles, and he is. Walking the class through all the rules of BR. And there's these soldiers around. They're all sort of beating them up. And he shows them a video. A very chipper video explaining the rules that of BR. is the shit. It's so yeah. funny. And then they launch them out. They give everyone a randomized bag with a randomized weapon. Um, I think women get tampons. I think that's the only static um, on there. I'm not really sure. Anyway, so they... Uh, and then it's pretty much... Unlike what you'd expect, pretty much immediately, kids are killing each other. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely um, talk
2: well, I, about I, that more. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. We'll talk about that.
1: Yeah. And so they're all kind of escaping from one point, And so a lot of them are just running off into the island and we're sort of seeing certain teens are killing themselves. Certain teens are, you know, gro- joining up into gangs and... Shuya has taken it upon himself to defend Noriko because she's his friend and all that. And, um, and his friend have
2: a big crush on her.
1: Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> and they run off into the island and they both have binoculars and a pot lid. Like, they got fucked on weapons. And they're trying to kind of play a pacifist route through this game. And they... Uh, they kind of travel through the movie. They meet different characters. They survive different scenarios. And Shuya mostly keeps his hands clean until very late in the movie. He he tries to keep a sense of of um of his if he participates in the violence of this place. He's you know he, he's giving into the powers that be the evil powers that be. And who who else is on this island? There's a bunch of nerds that are hacking the system to to kill the collars. I mean, it does feel like just a bunch of, and
0: I don't mean this in a bad way, but like a lot of high school stereotypes. And I one that's kids one thing South I really York like York 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 about York. the movie. There's, yeah, there is, there is, there is nerds, there is popular kids.
1: Athletes. There are... Athletes, Popular bully yeah. girls <laughs> like me. Yeah. There's like yeah. me. There's Japanese mean girls in this movie. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, it, it feel it feels They murder really... each other immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only thing there wasn't that you'd find in most American uh, schools is the white kid is really into Japanese culture. <laughs> <laughs>
1: they were fresh out. Yeah, this movie yeah. needed one of those um, one of those Japanese kids who's really into like American rap music, like we saw in Tokyo Tribe.
0: Yeah. But it, it it does, and it, and one thing, um, you know, we're gonna have trouble getting into every single character, but for the vast majority of the characters, because they're able to work within like, a, you know, universal stereotypes essentially, because this feels as much like my high school. Uh, even though it's on the other side of the world, that you're able, they're able to imbue each of them with a characterization that makes them familiar and like you know them. So even if they're on screen for two minutes, it doesn't feel like just some faceless person died. It feels like they're able to take a little part of someone that you knew in high school and make that the character in a short amount of time, so that you you feel something each time anyone dies.
2: And I think it helps both that the, the acting is that kind of super emotional teenage feeling and that they do their best to give you at least a little bit of a variation on those stereotypes. Uh When, when we talked about house uh we, we talked a lot about how those girls mostly had one personality trait. Oh, that's true. Um, and I feel like this movie embroiders on that a little bit. There's, the girl who who defines herself by her athleticism, but there's also some spirit to her and there's also it kind of feels like she just really needs to have her life be a little bit close to normal, even though everything's gone completely to hell. And, you know, that's relatable. Uh you you yeah. probably have not been stuck alone on an island uh with a bunch of classmates who were trying to kill you before, but I think all of us can identify with that. Can I just pretend everything's normal for five minutes, Feeling?
1: Yeah, like you lose your job or something happens and you're like, I just need to go grocery shopping. I just need to go work out. I just need to see my friends. I need to pretend like I don't have this cloud hanging over my head right now.
0: Or like the kid at the beginning who uh, was the first person who's killed by the the Japanese mean girl. But there's that one girl that just kind of takes her bags and she has a bunch of pictures of her classmates. And she just goes into like a cabin and, and goes and looks at all the pictures. It's like a... Uh, I'm just going to remember the good times and not focus on what's happening here. And that that feels pretty realistic, too.
1: Yeah, I feel like the, the there's kids that commit suicide right away, which I I think is another way that it separates itself from Hunger Games, because Hunger Games, like we said, they're all trained killers. They're all going into it. There's an actual you feel the sense of tragedy more here, because while there are villains and we should note there are two wild cards in this movie. Uh, one kid that came in from last year that basically got held back a grade, which means that by law, he qualifies again. For <laughs> so he get kind of fucked into the game so bad. And, and then there's a volunteer who's a traditional Japanese insane villain, like someone you'd see in a, in a manga that's just like just loves blood. Like
2: Right right down to the kind of punk rock aesthetics and the dyed hair. Yes. Uh, she doesn't give although, a shit in the suit. Although yeah. you'll note there are two kids who are kind of rocking those aesthetics. Um and it's the absolute psychopath and the hacker kid who probably, um, if if you're just looking, you know, if if you didn't already know how the story was gonna go, is probably would have been their best bet to get everybody or at least a good portion off the island alive. So it's kind of nice that the non-conforming kids are not just the bad guy.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think who becomes like a bad guy gets really complicated. Even the kids who like uh, commit suicide really early. I, that's why I almost like to imagine in my head canon that like they were just so flabbergasted by being a part of the show. Like you mentioned, Bridget, that they were aware of the show, like they yeah. apparently were in the book, because I think the 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 couple couples that almost immediately are like, we're going to kill yeah. ourselves makes way more sense if they're aware of what's ahead of them. And like, yeah,
1: knowing well, that they just
2: they know, you know, the only way to win is not to play.
1: And if they watched last year with, um, assuming that story's cr- true, you know, which l- last year with the, the good uh, kid that got held back, uh, is his name Amora? What's his name? Kawada. He does. Kawada.
2: He does agree to play again.
1: Yes, yes. He's not so, just
2: screwed by life. He, he does agree to play again for, for his own reasons.
1: Yeah, so Kawada, um, is the guy, the repeat, one of the repeat guys, and he apparently had, he had a very tragic previous year on the game where him and his, his girlfriend were playing, and then she kind of was playing, uh, one could assume maybe she's playing a game to force him to kill her, um, so Yeah, she, he she wanted
0: him to live, yeah. Yes,
1: and, and she knew that that was the only way for it to work, um, and he's trying to figure out why she smiled at the end before she died. And so Ka- Kawada is presumably the lovers that kill themselves might have seen the Kawada versus his oh, girlfriend saga, and was and were like, oh, we're so, going to yeah. tap out on this. Yeah, but yeah, best case scenario, one of us is going to watch the other one
0: die. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: So yeah. yeah so uh, what I will say, so let's rush. Let's rush to the end
0: so we can. Uh,
1: Talk, Talk about uh, yeah. 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 So what I will say though is that there's vignettes that sort of trying to extrapolate all the reactions to this, and unlike Hunger Games, they're not all trained killers. They're kids that they they stumble into violence. They, they not, they'll be none talking of to them
2: some are trained killers.
1: No, no. There's people that are pretty experienced, like the crazy guy um, and uh, Kawada, the repeats. Everyone there is is an amateur and it kind of creates this nice situation where there's some villains to kind of cause chaos, but no one is really a villain in this work, which I think makes it more interesting than the first Hunger Games.
2: I I would really say the only person who you would really call a classic sociopath is Kiriyama, is Punk Rock Kid who volunteered.
1: Yeah. And obviously all the parents in charge and the the adults. Yeah. Oh, the adults are fully
2: Uh, (laughs) responsible. Yeah. Because
1: Takeshi Kitano is, who's also known, uh, credited as uh, Kitano Sensei. Um, I don't know why he took his own name. That's something I didn't really understand. Um, So, uh, at the end of the movie, the crazy guy has killed all the nerds and the nerds, but the nerds have managed to shut off the collars. Um, And uh, Kawada. And the crazy guy get into like a battle with each other because Kawada has taken Noriko and uh, Shuya under his his wing as these like young lovers that he sees as almost like symbolic or, you know, a literalization of of his past relationship. He wants somebody to live out of this, uh, to to get out of this unscarred. And then he does this trick on the uh, Takeshi Kitano and the military guys where he pretends like because they're just listening in on the mics now. Um, where he pretends like he murdered them. Uh, he murdered uh, Noriko and uh, he murdered Shuya, the last, supposedly the last remaining, uh, you know, contestants, the last remaining students. Kawada goes back to the, you know, the campus, uh, this weird school where on the island, and he confronts, you know, uh, Takeshi Kitano, and he says, you know, like, I'll, I'll take my reward now. And then, boom, you know, all the military guys are gone, and then, boom... Shuya and Noriko show back up and it's a really great like dramatic reveal and they sort of all conflict uh you know confront uh Katano for what he's done and Katano kind of like commits suicide by cop he like points a fake gun at them to get them to blow him away and then right before he dies he, and to like,
2: try to get her to blow him away
1: yes yes um because he has a complicated relationship with Noriko where he like looks as her as his own as his daughter because last little weird note, he uh Katano wanted a good relationship With his daughter And he couldn't have it His daughter fucking hates him Apparently he has A sick wife at home Like there's a, a lot of family strife At home That he just can't meet And everyone is kind of Shaming him for being A, a, a terrible adult But you know, yeah. In their words He wanted to take Noriko almost As his own daughter And at the end of he Because tr- she was the only one That kept
0: going to school When like the The youth Started abandoning Going to school So He like, saw a guiding light In her a goal, like, and, I, and I also think That's why he does Though seeing it again and I think it actually makes more sense why he's like, no, don't go check the bodies. Just leave me. It's because he wanted yeah. Noriko to win. And yeah. um, and when he thinks he's dead, he's just like, get leave me the fuck alone. Like the one person who I liked and I was trying to help throughout the game a little bit. Um, has he
2: died. doesn't seem that surprised when they show back up, though.
1: I mean, he's pretty... He's pretty um, uh, calm in his craziness. Like he he, he, when he yells like, you know, that's a yell. Unlike in the sequel with um, Ricky Tekuichi, who is like just this frothing madman Um, in in this, in this, um, he is a uh, he's pretty calm in his insanity. Um, but yeah, that's the end of the movie As they kill him. And then they go off and uh, they go off on a boat towards the, the mainland or, you know, I guess whatever they go back towards the Japan. They sort of say uh, goodbye to their old lives in a way they can. Kawada passed away on the boat. So it's just uh, Shuya and Noriko. And they basically commit to lives on the road as fugitives from the law so
0: I uh, I saw this once before
1: and I I really liked it. I saw uh, you know it
0: had been on my list because I I wanted to see it. I'd heard about it, but I didn't want to see it enough that I was like going to take any sort of uh, extra <laughs> just just any sort of like oh I can't order this on Amazon. Okay, I guess I'll wait. <laughs> Maybe someday I will. So when I, when it finally became available to get uh, the disc through Netflix in, in 2012 it was a big deal, and I you know bumped it up to the top of the queue, and I really liked it. I haven't rewatched it again since then. Here's my overall take on the movie. I really like it, but I also kind of get angry at this movie. Uh, Not because it's bad, but because it is a movie about a bunch of children brutally murdering each other. But it's directed so fucking well that it makes the whole thing seem super fun. And, in like, enjoyable (laughs) in an action way. And it's almost like it it almost makes you angry because it's like, fuck you. I shouldn't be enjoying this. Like, this should be (laughs) like we need to talk about Kevin, where it's like a good movie that's a brutally trying experience. There is something to be said about, and I don't know if that was, like, his... It, that kind of works in the Hunger Games, too, except that's much less brutal. This feels a lot more... Like, you almost feel bad that you're having... It feels like a fun action adventure, and it's, like, 14-year-olds cutting their friend's throat, poisoning each other. Like, it's it's some brutal shit, but it's so it's so well set up and directed that you almost... There's a part of you that feels guilty for enjoying the... The set pieces and the the action set up. And, you know, part of the reason we're doing this month is that there is just something inherently appealing about the, the most dangerous game or the Battle Royale scenario. Like, I guess it's why it's why people go play paintball and laser tag oh, and all that kind of stuff. There is something exciting about this idea of this fight for survival with only your wits and
1: whatever elements they give you.
0: So... The ultimate um, challenge, exactly.
1: Sorry, Bridget, go th- go through some of your history with the with the book movie. What do you what do you got?
2: Well, like I said, I, I, I can't actually remember exactly when I first watched it, um, but it was definitely um, it it was available before it was available, um, which is a weird way of putting it. But uh, there may have been a very small official release um that somehow is what I got a hold of. It may have been an international release that I got a hold of, as I said. Um, but I know um later then it was like Battle Royale is available everywhere and I was like, What? <laughs> 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 Wait, I watched that. How did I do that? But uh you know, we certainly watched it I watched it with my ex husband, certainly in the era in which we were used to children killing each other in high schools. I just think, you know, so many so many more children have killed each other's in high school since
0: then. Um And it feels more more frequent and the body counts higher more often.
2: Yeah, and uh, the Hunger Games came out and kind of almost recontextualized it a little bit. Um, I kind of sniffed at the Hunger Games for years for being, wait, I watched that. It was called Battle Royale. It wasn't bad. But I think that's not entirely fair to the Hunger Games because they're both very different pieces um both the hunger games movie and book have the relative luxury of being a trilogy which means you just have so much more time and space to uh fill out that world that you created uh, where battle royale the film in particular is so lean it it really has found its focus and and that's where it is it's 113 minutes long they don't fuck around and
1: it screams by it's, it it's, screams it's by. It is one of the most well-paced genre movies I've ever seen. It could be three hours, and if they had this sort of ebb and flow where you kind of have these peaceful moments, and then Mm -hmm. moments punctuated by violence, and these great little character moments, and they kind of mix them all in throughout, like, this could have been three hours and I wouldn't have noticed.
2: The other thing they do to kind of punctuate it, and the chapters of the book do this too, is they interrupt whenever anything fairly significant happens with the update to the body count. Yes. Uh, because all of these chapters and all of these, you know, we'll call them chapters in the movie sort of end in violence, whether it's the two kids who talk each other into jumping off the cliff to their deaths, or it's the poor hackers, you know, blowing up, getting blown up by their own truck bomb. How many people have died, their names, how many more to go? Um, and it's all like the children are. A
1: countdown timer.
2: Yeah. And all the children are designated by numbers. Uh, you know, yep. boy number eight, girl number 12.
0: I do want to circle back to something you said, though, about how there's something extra terrifying to just like it, an unsuspecting bus of kids getting taken. Like, the one thing about the Hunger Games that makes it a little less is everyone's like, I'm pledging. Like, yeah. I know it's a lottery. And I know, but they got their weapon. They're like, if I, my name gets called, I'm going to go kill everyone I know <laughs> and all my friends or whatever else it is. Or the, I guess more, more accurately, the kids from the other town.
2: Yeah. Um, there, there's tremendous social pressure on them in the Hunger Games.
0: Yeah. And here it's like you're going on a field trip and all of a sudden your bus pulls off into a fucking, I guess, Battle Royale.
2: It's your last blast before, you know, what's adulthood for some of these kids. Because yep. compulsory education ends at grade nine. If you want to go to high school, you have to take your test and you have to pass. Um, And I assume in a dystopian future, which is harder on teenagers, it's not any easier to pass that test. No, and they're not going to school. These are kids who are ready to take a step into, you know, kind of that next pressure cooker or onto living an adult life. And so the school trip is really their last chance to be a kid. And instead, they have lost their lives and their childhood in one fell swoop
1: and that's one of the reasons why i prefer like the later hunger games movies and i really love battle royale is that battle royale has a i think there's a genuine sense of drama in how you can internalize and externalize these conflicts like you can internalize them and be like oh man what would i do if this this happened to me in junior high which i'll get to in a second because i'll go through my history of the movie externalize and you say what does this mean for society what is this what is the movie trying to say about uh society uh particularly the intergenerational divide one of the things that i think this movie has really held up on is that i think a lot of people in my generation the millennial generation have uh feel a genuine sense of resentment towards specific uh, older generations who we feel like they um Certain members of uh, robbed the treasury and then took off in the helicopter. Or you know, they they got on the yacht. And they oh, oh don't the
2: worry, up. Gen X has that too.
1: Yes, yes. Where well, it's a it's everybody fucking hates baby boomers, right? Even Basically. George Carlin, a baby boomer, hates baby boomers. Um, <laughs> hated baby boomers, but um, that was a that was a thing that we genuinely deal with on like a, a week-to-week basis is just this resentment towards like um an older generation which i've sort of you know stereotypically decided every member of that generation is guilty of electing trump and passing these tax cuts that are going to hurt me and uh fighting for healthcare reform that is going to hurt me and <laughs> just uh but they're tax cuts peter yeah Won't they help you yeah they can you explain this? don't
2: you first need you money charts? to benefit from a tax cut
1: and <laughs> <laughs> medical debt and all that so the, the inter- intergeneration the intergenerational divide thing and especially like even just on a countercultural level like the fact that you see your parents as sort of like not understanding you like uh will smith and jazzy jeff once said
2: uh, but i think just the same way you know a lot of biblical stories talked about hospitality and how much society broke down with a violation of those obligations towards hospitality. This is about a society breaking down on its obligations to the young, mm-hmm. and the Hunger Games to a certain extent. And there, there are a lot of books that riff and movies that riff on this. Um, And not all of them are actually for for millennials or for children or for teenagers.
0: Well, it is funny that you mentioned the responsibility part because we just got done with Joe Dante month. And one of our big takeaways from a lot of his movies was uh, Joe Dante really had a sense of like what authority figures need to be. Yep. And And authority figures are not there. Yep. They're not there to block kids from experiencing stuff. They're there to kind of shepherd them and teach them values. Yep. And, and and that's that's very important and, and not see them
2: a you know, it's it's setting those limits a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further out as they get older, yep. and older.
0: And how important that was. And obviously this is a society that, you know, his 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 parents or any authority figure that is like portrayed as villainous are the the authority figures who see every everything that a kid wants to do or a person wants to do that doesn't align with their personal beliefs. As a challenge, and it's a challenge that must be met as a you know uh, metaphorical battle.
2: To, to bring it back a little bit to the movie, one of the interesting things in Battle Royale is how the whole aspect of parents have been completely removed. You only see parents yeah. obviously in flashbacks, and the two parents you see have either physically or emotionally abandoned their children.
0: Uh, yeah, and the, and the one teacher that they know that was their authority figure is like literally, almost gleefully uh, exacting revenge, which is supposed to be like a kid thing, right? Like, So, uh, Peter, before we get too far into this, which we've already done, um, I know you have an extensive history with this movie, so why don't you regale us with your tales of teenage Peter? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, this is one of the most formative movies of my, uh, my life. Uh, and this movie kicked off a love of everything that I love about cinema. And everything that I love about watching or engaging in any sort of, like, outsider art, like, all of that comes probably back to about this movie. So, I was really into movies in junior high, but I found descriptions on the IMDb forums of this movie, and I started reading articles about it, but like Bridget alluded to, it was frustratingly not available. So, with my parents' uh, credit card, and then I handed them cash, I ordered the uh, fucking... um, bootleg dvds of the first movie and the second movie wow the, the subtitles were miserable like fucking awful they were running off the screen like literally wouldn't did not fit in the frame
2: oh and congratulations and welcome to the world of terrible subbing <laughs> i've <lived> there <laughs> and, go on
1: and and these these bootlegs were they, they were both um miserable and i paid way too much for them but also this was a movie that I like on a whim. I was just like, I'm going to watch this with my best friend. So Ryan and I watched this together and we needed to show everyone. And we started showing to people and people loved it. It became the first time that I ever had like an evangelical movie experience where like, I was like just showing this movie to people and like making them watch it. And then people were really into it. And the broadness of the characters and the sort of, um uh, soap opera sort of like clearness of everyone's emotions and intentions it comes c- across so clearly through the dialogue that it didn't matter that the subtitles were often really shitty it didn't matter at all to any of us the dozens of kids that watch this movie mind you in eighth grade ninth grade the perfect age to watch this movie uh, according to kinji fukusaku <laughs> <laughs> it didn't matter we, right. it, it, read across, it read across the Pacific Ocean and across the entire country. It, it, it hit us right where where we lived. And it was such an intimate experience. It's such an intimate filmmaking experience. This idea that like, uh, what if we felt so out of control as 13, 14, 15 year olds? What if um, our parents actually just decided like enough is enough? We need to whip these kids into shape and put us into some sort of experience like this. Like it was, it hit us on every level. And, and the idea that we were having these intense relationships that this is just all hormones and emotions and feelings. And the, the idea of a relationship now being like that is very exhausting, right? Like, Oh God. Yeah. If you, I, I would, nobody would get married just if you knew. still felt that way now. Right. <laughs> every morning. just hanging out
0: with friends is like a quarterly thing.
2: Yeah. And, <laughs> you know? and then you have to have like half an hour of quiet downtime to yourself.
1: Yes, so uh, you can imagine the movie was very formative for me in that sense, and the, all the conversations we were having to people about life and death and what it all means, and you know, would you would you kill somebody that in the class, like if you had to, and like it was never in this you sort kill of first? <laughs> like we did have these conversations, but it, like it 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 didn't give us a sense of because the movie is so. Can I find all your
0: classmates on Facebook? Are they still doing okay, Peters, or <laughs> anything?
1: they're mostly all there okay (laughs) there is a humanism to it though that we all decided also i went to a junior high with 35 kids which was about the number of kids in the movie Uh, so we all knew each other very intimately the intimacy of all the portraits in this movie really hit me where i lived and it it hit all of us where we lived and we would have these long conversations about this movie and so it's a very formative movie for me the broadness of this is something i could probably see bothering american audiences but also like the more anime you watch and the more sort of like big japanese movies you watch you sort of like get over yourself like this is just (laughs) this is just sort of one way that you tell stories right like this is just uh, telling a big story sometimes requires big broad emotions and this movie about fucking 14 year olds or whatever um as the years went on and I finally got a decent Blu-ray, I started to appreciate more of it as a a filmic experience. It wasn't just this intense, this shotgun blast of intense emotions. It was uh, this incredibly well-made and crafted cinematic experience by a true master of the format who made his name off of making Yakuza movies, uh, Battles Without Honor and Humanity, and a bunch of other movies uh, in Japan, and then he in his dying days... Wanted to reach out across generations and talk to, you know, two generations below him.
2: Yeah. And, um, and, and he also, had prostate
1: cancer. And he, he, yeah, but he celebrated his 70th birthday on the set of making this movie. So he. Yeah basically died in the three years between the release of battle Royale in 2000 and the um the release of battle Royale 2 in 2003 and um it, it all of this sort of led to me exploring japanese film um it got me into like criterions and like just exploring what uh, what film could do weirdly enough i got into like extreme japanese stuff before i got into akira kurosawa probably not the direct path like you should probably i, I
2: don't i don't think that's that surprising actually
1: Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like I probably should watch should have watched Seven Samurai before Ichi the Killer. Yeah, but but like when you're 15,
0: what do you what are you more likely to be into? Like, oh, this is going to be gross and have a lot of nudity or like I'm going to watch a black and white four hour epic. (laughs) (laughs) The honor and dignity of 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 poor people. Yeah. And
1: I I was into... All of that stuff eventually in junior high and in grade school and and, uh, sorry, junior high and early high school because of because of this movie. Once they get all the packs
0: and they run out, you're kind of expecting everyone goes and like makes their fort and like the fifth kid that runs out gets a fucking arrow in his neck.
2: (laughs) And I love that because they're not, as we've said like eight times now, they're not train killers. They're panicking. The kid with the arrows—he's not necessarily a bad guy. He's fucking terrified.
0: We—I don't know, Peter. Did you mention in your recap that like two kids get killed as part of the like the training? No, in the video, as, I did not. So
1: during the so orientation, the, I was yeah. trying to speed ahead, and then I needed to slow down for twenty minutes. So
2: yeah, so uh, one kid the- talks. So I'm I'm taking over recapping duties. Stay you're you're on the edge of your seat (laughs) so one girl talks back and Takeshi Kitano basically just takes her out with a knife to her head and then the friend who has the crush on the girl um gets his head blown off um as part of a demonstration of how the explosive collars work and also for talking back um and it really both brings home how disposable these kids are because they're all going to die anyway except one of them who cares um, and also really succeeds in just freaking those kids out. You know, they're they literally are just working around the fallen bodies of their classmates. Cause of course they're not gonna cover them up or pull them out of the way. It doesn't matter. they are all gonna die except one.
0: Well, and also that kid that fires the bow and arrow outside, like, you know, from a completely like we have no ethics perspective, I'm not judging the murdering, but it's not a not a bad move. It's not
2: a bad move. Like
0: like they're coming through one at a time, panicking um, through a literal like single file tunnel. Seems like a good time to pick off some people, especially with a if you were in a battle
1: royale. Yeah. yeah, and great Fortnite move. It's it's maybe in real life with ethics and stuff, maybe not.
2: Yeah, but it's interesting to see you know sort of the utilitarian, the traumatized, the denial uh, between these kids because they don't actually turn on each other as quickly as you would think. There's the asshole with the arrows. There's the kid who basically loves killing people. There's, of course, um, the girl. Uh, um, the girl who's real good at killing people, Mitsuko. Yes. And we only find out her deal very late in the movie. But we find out that she basically. thats is a,
0: That's a rough scene. She
2: has no reason to trust anyone. Yeah. At all. Uh, you, you know, even during the movie before we find out her emotionally scarring backstory, uh, the kids are calling her a slut and saying they can't trust her. Um, at the very end of the movie, when you get the flashback to the basketball game, she's set apart from everybody else.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, so, you know, most of these kids, they're dumb little optimists. You know, a couple of them are going, let's band together. And of course, they get murdered. But, kiriyama is killing most of them the girls the lighthouse the,
1: scene is the lighthouse so, the lighthouse that, scene is so important because it it's shows the hardest you scene to watch it is because it shows you all these girls coming together forming what seems like a pretty solid plan i mean it it's practically on, a little
2: utopian community especially when they find out that there might be a way off the island
1: yes yeah, so they but it is based in a naivety that they all think that, you know, we can figure out the not murdering each other part tomorrow, but today yeah. we can at least live in peace. Have um, a nice
2: meal, hang out.
1: Yes. And the only reason it goes south is because one member of them wants to bring in uh, Nanahara, who gets injured in a battle, and then the uh, other doesn't trust Nanahara because she associates him with the murderers, the blood, the, the you know, the cut she She saw outside. him kill. Violent death,
2: basically. Yes.
1: Yeah. She associates him she with saw the him people kill outside out the bad people yeah. outside the lighthouse.
2: She she again, most of this is acting out of either naivete or fear. Yes. And then there's a couple of decent plans that, you know, just get fucked. The the kids who aren't taking it seriously enough get killed. The hacker kid like they the three of them. And, uh, you know, once in a while, one of the other kids, they run into one of the other kids and, and it's OK because they've got, you know, That the hacker kid has a fucking plan. And it is actually a really good plan. Disable all the electronics.
1: If it wasn't for the the psycho kid, it would have worked. It would have worked
2: beautifully. Um, And of course, you can't rely on your other classmates to not try to kill you in this situation. But on the other hand, there's not many other choices. And the quick and easy thing to do is just take out the school. Um, And they do it in pretty good time, considering.
1: Yeah. So there's a, like we just discussed, there's a bunch of people banding together and it's falling apart because of, you know, general gravity or bad or, luck you know, or a chaos element stepping in and throwing yeah. off their plans. But what's, you know, also, I, I
2: spent a lot of this movie going, you know, you just need one asshole. Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually there was a study a couple years back um, on a much less violent scale, but it was about toxic workplaces and What they determined was, again, you just need one asshole. And if that person is allowed to be unpleasant in whatever way it is, whether they're slacking off, whether they're pitting other kids against each other, whatever other adults against each other. Um, I suppose this could be a high school uh, snack bar. Uh, But (laughs) all, all you need is one person that can completely destroy a trusting dynamic. And that's when yep. no one's life is on the
0: line. Well, exactly. And so it's not even the, all that surprising that, like, they've blocked it out a little bit. And they've you're right. Like, it's just a, hey, for today, we're going to make some soup. And we're going to live like friends. And, we you know, we do want to get out of here. But, like, with the omnipresent, like, threat of death and danger, this, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be the slightest drop of a hat that's yeah. going to cause people to take extreme measures. It's why... I think rightfully, there's been a lot of discussion in this country about like a lot of people in this country are living under extreme stress yeah. all the time, based on all the terrible things that are happening all the time, and like that sets up uh, kind of a tinderbox for a potential eruption of, you know, violence or you know something something along that nature. Just because like you can't if if you feel like you could die at any moment. Or someone's going to come take away your kid at any moment. Like, it's – you. humans just aren't meant to live under that level of constant uh, stress and pressure.
2: And the other side of that is normalization. Uh, yep. The, the, the cliché, you know, after the first death, there is no other. How many classmates do you see die in front of your eyes before you get inert to it? How many school shootings do we – live through as a society before we are inert to it. I are we inert to it now? And I would say to a certain degree, we kind of are.
1: There's a genuine sense of sort of both uh the kids wanting to believe in something, but the world that has been created for them and they are they've been dropped into has s- stepping down on any sort of trust they can have in people. Like there's at the beginning Nanahara is like screaming out in the field like, you know, I want to come join you to the the two girls who just have like a megaphone and that's it. Like, but by the end, he's much more savvy and he's much more willing to engage in combat to defend defend Noriko. Like, he is continually taught by this system not to trust. And you get the sense that this would be maybe a boring game to watch if it wasn't for the nut job. Oh, it would be dull as hell. Yeah, it would take too long. I,
2: you know, honestly, I've never figured out why anybody would watch the Hunger Games either. Although I never read the books or, or watched the movies,
1: so maybe there are some exciting, shiny
2: bells and whistles I don't know about.
1: Um, uh, it's uh, compulsory, um, for the people within the districts. But uh, I think the uh, for the people in the capital, it's because they uh, like a good. It's like a glitch. Why watch would people it? watch the gladiator sport? You know. Yeah. So if you're if you're the if you're the you're the um the district that the victims came from, you have to watch it. You have to like stand out in the square and watch it or some shit. They don't really get into the details yeah. of that, but if you're um- I mean that was that was the
0: pre-TV entertainment too, right? Like let's see these let's let's see these guys fucking fight some lions and see what
1: happens. Well, and it's like- it's
2: it's the lottery. It's, you know, not not a uh not a
1: particularly new It's like Bravo, watch what happens. Yeah, Hunger Games is far more focused on the media effect and playing to the media and training for the contest and all that. Battle Royale is basically like as a movie is basically ignores that and focuses on the minimalism of the the interactions and and the fact that you know it's max all of its it's sort of big ideas are focused on one generation versus another. Well, and you're
0: just essentially watching the contest.
1: Yeah.
2: To go back to the very beginning of the movie again. Uh, one of the scenes that really stuck with me on rewatch was actually that scene early on with the the deeply traumatized kid holding her doll um and that you know i I had remembered, but I had forgotten so there's a female reporter who's kind of announcing, oh oh goody goody uh we are going to uh find out who this year's winner is' <gasps> it's so exciting and she comes out and she says, Oh, she's smiling. She's smiling. And she seems kind of relieved by it. Like, like that there's some part inside what's left of her conscience that knows this is murdering this kid. But, yeah. but she's, you know, decided to use that crazed survivor's grimace as a smile to reassure herself and to reassure those adults watching at home that that it was okay.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, she seemed to have a good time. It's basically like a Disneyland for her. Yeah, yeah. So everyone...
2: How how great is it that you can tell yourself that that you you are the most dangerous game, right?
0: You kind of referenced earlier that maybe this is a battle royale for, like, parents that want to get rid of their kids or something like that. And uh, if that's the case the one kid that survives i'm sure that parent is like oh god damn it
2: well you know it's (laughs) interesting in the movie because it seems like it really is just a bunch of kids who went to school together yeah aside from the two quote-unquote transfer students where again in 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 the book it's it's much more the government decided there were some problem children and yeah some kids will get caught in the crossfire but we need to get rid of these kids and will be problems.
0: We, we should probably rush ahead to moments. I know it's been a lot of moments because this, like, uh, Peter, like you said, there's a lot of uh, vignettes. There's a
2: lot going of, on.
0: There's a lot going on in this movie. They No one gets uh, short uh, short shrift. Um, I have a couple little minor things I want to discuss before, uh, and then you guys can do yours. So uh, at the end, when they do go back to the teacher He's made a painting uh, of all the all the kids in his class. And, and, and the various he, horrible ways they've died. And, and the horrible ways that they've died. I got to say, like, it's not a very good painting. I just hope he wasn't an art teacher because no wonder everyone skipped his class. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really shitty. Uh, second, uh, this movie does end on uh, – has a couple epilogues, but taking those out – it really ends on a gut punch where after all the violence and the murder and the mayhem, it just shows them being kids on that basketball game again. Yeah. Like, that that's really tough because it's like, oh, after two hours of extremely watchable, horrible violence of these children, uh, it it kind of shows how you almost build up an immunity to it. Because at some point, I think even as an audience member of a fictional movie, there's a part of me that switches off that, like, these are kids killing each other. Yeah, And – to be reminded at the end of the movie of, like, now they look 10 years younger than they do in the when they, you know, have blood covered on them and are wielding these, you know, weapons of mass murder when they're just cheering for the basketball and, team. And, and they're and, happy. You know, gossiping and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It is like a, oh, yeah. I, even as an audience member watching a movie, forgot that these were just kids for a second.
1: Yeah, they're not. And, and it helps you also – forget that they're actors playing kids like they're like okay these are real these are real human beings that had a relatively normal lives before all this
0: and how much i as the audience member accepted that that wasn't the case anymore
1: yes um those those sort of the way that it's edited is pretty genius um not just in terms of pacing and the way i said it just keeps chugging along but the fact that they continually remind you of little moments here and there because there's just so much going on and the way that they'll sort of align certain people's struggles with one another. And there'll be a person on the hunt and then there'll be a person like hunting for somebody that's being hunted or somebody that's trying to save somebody that's being hunted. Like there's there's all this sort of back and forth and even characters that are pretty much introduced just to die at least get their their few seconds, their few lines. It's But um we talked a lot about people doing uh, – committing violence for self-preservation or out of panic uh you know the will to survive we can talk about the most interesting reason that people commit violence in this movie which is uh based on sort of personal problems that they had with people beforehand so uh shigusa is a the one that goes running and she sort of loses herself in it she, she has like a daydream of her boyfriend kind of riding his bike along her and sort of timing her and uh, this is—you'd recognize this actress because she plays uh, Gogo Yabara in uh, *Kill Bill* Volume One. This is where Tarantino got her from. And she uh, is running, ignoring this creep that's apparently just been stalking her and being. And then he he says like, you know, you know, if we're gonna die, we should at least have sex. Like, you know, you love me, whatever. All that all that creepy stalker stuff. And eventually, she's just like, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> And then he attacks her, and then she attacks him back, and like fucking murders him, stabs him in the dick, stabs him in the heart, and just like, it. And it's this pure moment where she's just like, she was trying to tell him to fuck off again and again and again, but she is now in a contest where she's being incentivized and pushed, and she might die tomorrow. And this guy fucked up her run,
2: <laughs> her one. Well, moment it, and, of peace. and it seems so. Cathartic. I mean, it feels cathartic as a viewer because you are watching these kids kill each other in this pressure cooker situation. And most of the kids have been innocents who are being gunned down by a psychopath, or they're like the arrow kid who's just freaked out and panicked. And so, this is like one of the few kills that you can actually feel good about, which I know you shouldn't feel good about teenage boys being murdered or anyone really. But There's just this tremendous catharsis to having this guy bug her and bug her and this and that and to finally have her feel, this is it. I am done with your bullshit. I am going to take whatever I have to. I'm going to do whatever I have to to get you off my back
1: and shut the fuck up.
2: And And it feels
1: so good
2: Yeah, and I think it's also very deliberately placed where it is in the movie. Um, I wish I still have my copy of the book where I knew where it was so I could look and see if the placement is similar. Um, But I think it's very deliberately placed in the movie that you you have this escalating violence and this escalating violence and these kids who really shouldn't be dying, and all of a sudden, wait, maybe I'm not so sure about this one. Maybe this one I feel a little less bad about. You no know, it's it's that it's that great bit in um little shop of horrors where Seymour becomes morally compromised where yep. the plant says a lot of folks deserve to die and Seymour says, "Well, I don't know anyone who deserves to die and then of course the dentist comes out dragging his girlfriend slash Seymour's crush behind him and and the music just ramps up and the both of them go, That guy looks like plant food to me. Even though, like, if you step out of the movie and you think about it as a moral human being, did that young man deserve to get stabbed in the dick? He did not. But in the world that the movie has put you in, in the mental state that the movie has put you in, you are just like, you go.
1: Yeah. And <laughs> like which
2: she stuck which she puts that knife right in his dick, like It was just, yes, you know, it's it's not necessarily a feeling I'm proud of, but it very it's very much constructed to make be kind of that tipping point where you feel like you're
0: complicit in the violence. That's the whole movie, right? Yeah. You're like, yeah, you killed that fucking kid. That kid was a dick. Like it's and it goes through to the bad guy kids and, and every like bad guy kid is such a funny phrase right. because it's it's ridiculous. Obviously, whatever we would call a, a kind of a kid who's a dick probably shouldn't get shot in the face or all the other horrible things that happen. Right. But the movie is so well done that you can't help but get invested in yeah. uh, the game.
2: And And then it turns around and she gets killed. And you because go, oh, The, the,
1: the, the wait. hunter spots, the, the, the yep. Mitsuka, yeah. the big hunter spots yeah. a competitor. She It's, it's like Mitsuka had hurt, uh, smelled blood in the air. Like she's the big shark and, you know, like a smaller little shark had, had you know, gotten a kill. And, and Mitsuka's like, all right, I'm coming in to, you know, mop up what's left. And the, like this movie points out again and again, and it's why Shuya and Noriko are so... Uh, apprehensive to, you know, join the hunters and join the killers and in the hunt and, you know, even participate in anything that resembles that is that, um, trauma traumatizes both the victim and the victimizer. So, so the, uh, Nitsuka as a child having to hurt, kill kill or hurt uh the uncle figure whoever the creep is supposed to be, the pervert, her having to commit that action performed its own, you know, reverse trauma on her. Yeah, that's absolutely. and that's the whole point of this, is that all these people are being put in situations they should not fucking be in, and the act of having to react to them violently, because that's what's happening, is uh making the trauma bounce back at them. Like at the lighthouse the lighthouse scene ends with you know Shuya is locked in the room. He's been hurt. One of them took hi- one of the women took him in. All of the women get murdered, uh, murder each other, and and finally he gets let out. And he sees the true perpetrator of the violence was uh, one of the women that was trying to poison him, and she kills herself because. She has committed such a heinous act that she can't bear to live with it, and she immediately need, like feels like the way to make amends for it. And you know, I'm
2: not simply, even sure if it's it's making amends as not being able to live with what she did.
1: Yes, whatever whatever you consider her suicide as, but the. the she cannot uh, – she cannot consider that a win for her. She considers it a, a horrific trauma that she had to live through. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one of the things that the movie is is very much into and I'd like to quickly touch on something really quickly is that Aaron talks about how the violence is very beautiful and balletic – one of the things about the violence in this movie that I really like is that it, is, it plays into the way that the dialogue is delivered and the way it's shot and the music and all that. Which, by the way, a lot of the music is, is zippy and sort of fun and is sort of like classical music. And the point is that this is being played by Takeshi Kitano, uh, Take, uh, Takeshi Sensei, because he considers this a lesson to the next generation. And so for his lesson plan, he has exercises and he has music he's playing for them and he's trying to inspire them to learn the lesson uh, before they die. The violence in this movie is is big like that, like big and broad like that, because it's about it's, it's more of an impressionist take on violence because people don't die until they've gotten to say their one last thing they needed to say. People don't die until they kind of like complete one more action. People can take, one person takes five bullets because they didn't have fucking anything else to say. And one, and then one woman <laughs> takes 20 bullets because <laughs> she's the one that had to freak out and her craziness cut, lets her take a hundred bullets. Like it's supposed to be this sort of, this sort of idealization, not idealization, it's supposed to be this sort of expression of a beautiful death. The idea that the people's, people's deaths are externalized. They're not minimized. Yeah. No, that's that's perfect. Just because I know
0: we could talk about this movie forever.
1: It's just chocked full of details because there's all yeah. these little nuggets like you can make you can make several episodes just following different characters paths and who they interact with. Um, uh, but is there is there anything else that we missed before we kind of
0: get to the final? I do, here?
2: actually, I, I do. Kind OK, of one of the things that the lighthouse scene reminded me of, especially with the, the girl committing suicide at the end of that sequence Um, is the scene, the setting, the island. It's a really cool set. There's this giant, decaying school, barracks, I don't even know what it is, that is where the military is holed up in. Uh, There's these gorgeous, dramatic cliffs that just drop down to the ocean. Uh, There's a couple of little shelters. There's the lighthouse. uh, And there's a nice kind of choice if you're setting up a movie or trying to figure out how you know thirty kids are going to kill each other in interesting ways on an island. There's a really nice set of of really interesting visual contrasts. It really helps set the mood of whatever scene you're in, um, especially things like the lighthouse, which start really bright and suffused with light and remain pretty bright and suffused with light even as yeah. The ground is littered with corpses, and I think that's a really
0: nice touch. Well, and the setting is important to kind of give that that fun adventure thing. It's yeah, like exactly. It's not just it's a it's a cool fucking island. It's also there's all these like weird mystery yeah. buildings, yeah. I and mean, what are you gonna find in there? And it's like, oh, there's oh, some look, medicine a lighthouse? here. Exactly. So it feels. I mean, we we mentioned that you know the many video games took this concept. But that's like – for someone who plays video games, it's like this is the setting of video games. You go and you You pick up medicine and you – and yeah, exactly. So it – and maybe you find a building and what's in that building? Oh, look. There's a note from someone. This is going to tell me more about what to do next or – it is so perfect at, again, making it seem fun. And that's important because if you don't – if it doesn't feel fun, I think one, it's a really tough two hours. Yeah, it's just And two – it is supposed to kind of make you go, "Hey,
1: did you just enjoy that?" Mm-hmm. Kind of weird. Kind of weird you enjoyed it. Um, it is interesting to me though. There are also kids that just immediately became bullies, and then the crazy guy is like, "This is this is cute," and then he blows them all away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with their own. Although gun. you
0: know what he he's got an Uzi, and he is not the best shot with that Uzi for like a bloodthirsty kid who joined. For the kill, you have to assume a lot of this. He's just waving the Uzi, and like the bullets are missing everybody. Like he's, he's chasing people downhill. We're,
1: we're talking about gun stuff. He's a great demonstration of how effective school shooters would be when they don't have any opportunity to train. Like, he just he probably has never touched an Uzi before in his life. And so he gets in here, he's like, I don't know, it just kinda goes he goes up and then I I stop firing and then it goes down and I stop firing. Yeah, he shoots the Uzi like he's waving at someone. Yeah. Up and down. (laughs) He's like, one of these is gonna get you. But that is that is the only real heroic death that the movie plays with music is the death of the crazy kid like even Takeshi Kitano's death is not played as as heroic and the crazy kid like they go full on like anime like this guy's truly nuts like he gets his eyes uh whited out from an explosion and then he's not even humbled by that he's like he's like well I'm blind but I'm still gonna shoot at you with my Uzi like it's a it's a full-on villain's death when he gets taken down by Kawada. And that, apart from yep. that, the movie thinks pretty much every death is tragic. Even the death of the, the pervert kid, the movie plays some sort of, doesn't play like heroic music. It doesn't treat it as anything. It really revels in how disgusting it is. And he's mm-hmm. screaming and pulsing and like, it, so it might feel good for you for a little bit, but it's not the movie telling you to feel good. No,
2: no. Again, I, I think they want you to feel that moment of catharsis and then go, oh, oh, shit. Yep. because he doesn't he doesn't <laughs> die easy. Like anybody getting stabbed to death, he is increasingly pathetic as he dies. Um, um, so it, it really is one of those things where you get that moment of. Fuck, yeah. And then you go, oh, oh, what did uh, I just? Yeah. cheer on? What, what, what?
1: Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what, was I just,
2: what, what was I just happy about?
0: Yeah, um, exactly. And that's this whole movie. It's the whole movie is a is a movie designed to make you cheer and then feel really bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's a tough. That's what I said it's it's like you almost are like fuck you to the director for directing
1: yeah.
2: this movie it's, so it's well It's definitely because, made to be unsettling.
1: Yeah, yeah. The crazy kid, the crazy kid is like just a fascist jackboot, so you don't have to feel bad about you know enjoying his death. But like everyone else was just between a rock and a hard place and reacted. Irrationally, in some or, cases, or literally. Rational. There's a lot of rocks. Yeah, I think I think we can kind of move to final thoughts. You guys, uh, do you want me to kind of lead this off? Or yeah, go ahead. I mean, <laughs> I kind of feel like I, I said, you know, it is it is an it's an amazing
0: achievement. I think from being able to feel bad with yourself and energized, uh, and it alternates that throughout, and and that's that's a tough thing to do. This movie would be very easy to make a depressing like not like a Requiem for a Dream type movie. We love, you know, uh, when you talk about Kevin, where it's like, hey, when you're in a mood to feel like shit, I got a great movie for you to watch. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's not that. Why don't and you not that. for
2: two hours?
0: Yeah, like, it's good, it's important, but you're gonna, it's gonna be bad for you as you're watching it, but you need to watch it. Um, and I, and, you know, those movies are very good at that. Uh, this could have easily been that. And the fact that it's somehow feels like a rousing adventure, like I've said, that's that's an achievement because it, it makes you address why you're enjoying it's like uh, it's, I like Michael Haneke way more than Peter Peter fucking hates him. But it does feel a little <laughs> bit like uh, like it's like a, it's like a subtle Michael Haneke uh, movie where it's like huh? you're really rooting for those kids to murder each other, aren't you?
1: Hey, you really uh what those uh kids do uh murder each other, huh?
0: <laughs> all right. That's exactly that's that's Haneke's uh accent, I think. Perfect Once again, our accent game is just on point.
1: It's a bowling alley guy from The Simpsons. But yeah, so I I think Aaron said it really well. I think that the movie functions really well as both a genre work and as a sincere drama. And because of that, it it can kind of give you those beautiful moments and let you appreciate the characters. But then it also subverts everything by placing it within uh, a larger socio sociopolitical context. And it makes you question, like, why are the adults doing this? Because the adults kind of lose their voice partway through the movie. Eventually, Katano yeah. is just like, keep going. Keep going. The adults are are kind of just completely missing. Uh, eventually, they don't they don't need to explain themselves to the kids after a certain point. That's what the prep room is for, and be- it's very clear to me that the work has both um, sincere, earnest intentions and also subversive intentions. And I like a Verhoeven movie often does, and because of that, I love it. Verhoeven can't help but love his characters, and just like that, Fukusaku can't help but love his characters. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's why I think it's good satire, and that's why I do a post with Michael Haneke, but that's for another episode. Oh, uh, yeah, Michael Haneke month, where I try to get Peter to quit the body.
0: <laughs> uh, Bridget, what, were your, what, what are your final thoughts?
2: I'm going to go back to, to that will of being the parent of a teenager, because I, I do think you are seeing that movie with different eyes when you do. And it, it kind of works when you're 20 and first watch it or younger as you putting yourself in those shoes. Can I, could I have survived? What would I have done? Would I have been the nice hacker kid? That would be nice. Would I have been the kid who panicked and, and, uh, Took out my former friends with an arrow before someone put me down like a dog. Hard to say. Um, And I have always been a real proponent of the no, you don't know what you would do. You're talking out of your butt because you have never been placed in a battle royale situation and probably never will be. This is all purely theoretical and we're all happier this way. But when you watch it and realize the perspective of age telling you, my God, they were really young, aren't they? And thinking about the challenges your own kids face. And it's not just maybe they'll get put in the Hunger Games or in the Battle Royale. It's what happens when they're alone on a school trip? What happens if the bus goes off the road? What happens if there's a boy who won't listen to no? Um, And it's just kind of a larger portrait of how you feel as a parent and how he may have felt as a grandparent. I know he was a parent. I can't remember if his, his kids had kids, but it's also this feeling of breakdown of all the things around the people you care about that are supposed to keep them safe and keep kind of the fabric of what we accept as society and normality intact and the fear that what happens when those codes break down yeah
1: yeah i think that's really well said
2: that's why you guys pay me the big bucks right (laughs) get my stipend any minute now
0: (laughs) uh i can see a world where peter like when he has kids it's like did i train them well enough to compete in the battle royale
2: are they ready (laughs) for the hunger games should i spend uh, more money on that bow and arrow
0: yeah. oh that bow and arrows coming. i know what we're all all the past guests if we love to watch her chip it in for christmas peter and your, your fiance is gonna be like what the fuck is this is this because of the heavyweights episode
1: i don't want a bow and arrow in the house
0: we live in california
1: she's like i didn't send you to bow and arrow camp
0: yeah, <laughs> specifically. We should see if there's a camp you can go to, though, yeah. for that. Maybe that'll be fun. Uh, but, Bridget, again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Uh, you're always a blast. Uh, yeah. Is there anything yeah. that you would like to promote?
2: You know what? I am going to whine about my my out-of-print Kenji Fukasaku movie. And there are actually two Kenji Fukasaku movies we're going to talk about because I realized I have watched two of his movies beyond uh, Battle Royale. Um, and they both star... A actor named Akahiro Miwa, who um, that's his stage name. He's a Japanese drag queen. Both these movies play Miwa as a woman. There's not even any question about her. At least that's, that's how, my, uh, uh, how the subtitles come out. So uh, one of them is Black Lizard from 1968. There are two adaptations of Black Lizard. The 1968 one is the one out of print. Uh, there is a version on YouTube, which I'm, I haven't gotten around to checking out yet because I want that Blu-ray, guys. Um, <laughs> this is um, Black Lizard was based on a play, uh, which was based on a novel. Uh, but the play and the uh, screen adaptation were in the the play was adapted by Yukio Mishima, who is basically a giant of Japanese literature. And the best way I've ever managed to find to, to explain the surrealism of Black Lizard is it is an underground movie about a jewel, uh, jewel thief who is played by a drag queen um, who's basically portraying a cisgendered woman in this from a play by the Japanese version of Ernest Hemingway, more or less, in which he appears as a living statue that has been Mummified and is just sort of standing around the house. I I have not even touched the surface of how
0: surreal this movie is to watch. But but you're you're selling it pretty good. Thank you, so thank you. No, but it, but it's out of print. But it's out of Sorry print. But it you is you. on
2: YouTube, and so yeah, this you
0: know. this YouTube version better be pretty good um, because and, now I want to watch. And
2: the other it, version percent. that is in print, the other movie that is in print, is um not um uh, quite as unhinged as Black R- Lizard but is still sort of a extremely energetic underground Japanese movie. Um, Akihira Miwa is fantastic. I, I just, I love everything about her, uh, her, her drag character. Um, again, it's got a Mishima play, um, based on it. Um, general consensus is that, uh, Akihira Miwa was one of, uh, Mishima's, um, lovers, uh, about the time these movies were getting made, um, It's just a really interesting look into late 1960s Japanese cinema. Absolutely great uh, Kenji Fukusaku movies. One's in in print, the other isn't. Um, um, I don't think you'll regret watching either of those movies. Um, And, you know, someday, someday I'm going to get enough people talking about (laughs) Black Lizard that it's going to come into print. There's going to be like a Blu-ray from... I don't even know who. Maybe Criterion will pick it up. Criterion
0: will never pick this movie up.
2: But uh, that's that's my 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 white whale. So I, I figured I'd shout it.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll put uh, those sound awesome. I haven't seen either of them. Uh, we'll either. put those. The link for the YouTube version, and uh, I guess your uh, your Change petition to have uh, Black Lizard uh, <laughs> released on Blu Ray. We'll put those both those links in the show notes, and then the link where you can buy the other one uh, on. Uh on also the show notes. Both will go on the show notes cuz that's where we put web pages. Uh Peter, we have two more for this month. Both are targets.
1: Hard and yeah, soft.
0: We got well Ooh. one yeah we're we're first we're doing next week we're doing hard target, target with Marcus Jones who I have not confirmed the date with. So if he's not here it's because of, it's my fault uh and not because I have a vendetta to trick him. Uh, maybe I'll do the scheduling
1: with... on this one. <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe.
0: <laughs> I just... I, you know, it's still like a month away from where we're recording this. Yes. Um, but hopefully nothing bad happens to him in the meantime. <laughs> uh, and then we're doing uh, targets. Uh, not soft targets, although... Tar-
1: soft targets.
0: Once, once you see the movie, it's... They go down pretty easily.
1: Um... <laughs> uh, listen but, uh, if one of the targets is hard one of them has to be soft or are they uh, what about like targets? medium what's yeah what's medium i don't know moderate targets
0: F- firm firm targets Wh- what's the what's the fuck Sorta number <laughs> that's not what it is <laughs> what's the mattress that has numbers
1: uh what's your sleep, sleep number? number yeah is that what the name of the mattresses are too number sleep i can't afford one of those fuckers i don't know it's the number sleeps.
0: Why don't you? Why don't you tell me how much numbers I'm gonna have to pay for this? <laughs> so that's a this p- guy. Where the fuck does he? All right, it's bedtime. Uh, yeah, but we're doing targets with the with the the koskis We need targets. a new funny what? Soft targets uh, yes,
1: with talked. the Koskis that are brothers.
0: Koskis <laughs> with a Z. Koskies. Ka- the Koskies. That's that's the new nineties reboot.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Old Dusty, and a dog, part Z. Um, yeah.
2: <laughs> oh God, damn it! That reminded me. There was one other thing I wanted
0: to say. Go, go for it. They, Hopefully, it's awkward. It, the, hilariously, we're
2: awkward um, for many years, because if there's one thing um, the American movie industry does, it's tone deaf remakes of shit. Um, oh, yeah, There have, have been lot. several several uh discussions or attempts at making a remake um the most recent got uh spiked after the Virginia Tech massacre um and uh, in 2012 forever, they were like hopefully. oh we can't do it because people would think it was a hunger game to rip off they talked about tv rights um uh like like akira in its time i'm hoping that it's one of those things that hollywood just talks about and never manages to make happen.
0: What? People love that Ghost in the Shell movie. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, Spo- spoiler alert, they didn't like
2: it. Spoiler I mean, alert, it, was it of, wasn't it good. It was a problem.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, I, I haven't actually seen either uh, either uh, Ghost in the Shell, but I did watch Care for the first time this year. Oh, yeah. It was great. It's really good. People people don't talk about it enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, I we'll, we're going to say goodnight. I'd like to thank Bridget, Peter, that we are Just like the the people in the lighthouse, just having a meal, recording a podcast, hoping we find a way off the podcast. You eat first, Pete. Sure, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You might not have been faking, you've been having stomach issues. Good night. Good (laughs) night.
1: folks thanks for listening to we love to watch thank you so much for listening to our show and we've got just a few quick announcements for you there ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs baby if you'd like to talk to us uh tell us we're stupid tell us we're beautiful the quickest way to get to us is our facebook group facebook.com slash we love to watch Or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like
0: to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to
1: get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on
0: SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned. Guys, on our Facebook page especially, we're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.